This evening's Dharma talk is titled Choiceless Trust. So I often say, you hear me say, don't trust anything. Even even your own thought process, uh, emotions, feelings, and everything is suspect. <clears throat> On the other hand, if you're going to trust anything, probably you're good to trust yourself. Don't trust me. You've heard me say before, I'll say it again. Don't believe anything I say. And then uh, also don't disbelieve. Don't do anything with it. Listen. Receive if you're in this room or if you're tuning in to wherever this goes. And listen. Listen to it. Consider it. Don't add to it your opinion, your idea, your judgment, your evaluation. <clears throat> So choiceless, choicelessness could be seen lots of different ways. And the way I'm using it here, and we can, uh, I can respond to questions around this if you have them. Choiceless trust is the kind of confidence you have in something that just you can't refuse it. You can't turn away from it. It's not particularly foisted upon you. It doesn't seem to have a particular agenda. There's no circulating sales pitch or propaganda around it. It's just that. Your understanding of any particular thing is just very clear. When I say very clear, I'm not saying you know what it is and you're ready to write a book about it. I'm saying it's very clear in that you, you are clear about the confusion. You're clear about whatever the situation is, fundamentally. The way you can be clear about the confusion is when your understanding is so deep that you begin to understand intuitively dependent origination, that nothing comes from its own side as a separate thing, being energy, dynamic, identity. <clears throat> so the idea of choiceless trust would be that you would you had looked at something, maybe not for a long time, but you had looked at that situation very deeply, and maybe over and over again, looking looking for some discrepancy, some something that doesn't work, doesn't fit, that seems suspicious or deceptive, something that just how do you say that doesn't smell very good something about it. All of your senses start to come into play in that area. I smell rat. You've heard that one. Or did I just make that up? You know, that, that's... Isn't that something people say? Yeah, okay. I certainly don't want to take credit for an old saw. So don't accept, don't reject, don't look away. Use as a meditator, which everyone in this room more than likely anyone looking at this uh, YouTube video probably has some kind of awareness practice or they're interested in it. The image I often use is the sitting practice of meditation will use a simple metaphor, will eventually move the awareness out in front of the thinking process. The self-centered mind, the ego mind, the me, 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 and me in my territory, me and my ideas, my stuff, my opinions, that doesn't come out of awareness. That comes out of the thinking process that is based on the eight worldly dharmas and hope and fear. 
hope that things are going to get better, and fear that they're going to get worse. It is not about stopping any of that. It's about awareness, 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 awareness. So it's not about collecting fact and fiction around a particular thing to see if you can get yourself into trusting it. Don't even try. <clears throat> Don't trust anything. Don't do anything unless you have to. There probably isn't a person in here at some time or another that I haven't said that to. Don't, if you don't have to do it, don't do it. Why would you do it if you don't have to do it? Don't do it. Don't come here if you don't have to. Not about a belief in something, thinking that something is true with no, no proof, no evidence. <clears throat> so how does that trust show, show up? It could show up in a way that you give the benefit of the doubt to a certain situation. You're not always checking on it and scrutinizing and looking for something else. On the other hand, because of your awareness practice, you don't miss much because you don't, what? Focus. Don't focus. How can, how can I say that? Okay. Don't focus. Knock it off. How's that? Stop focusing. Any focusing you need to do will happen spontaneously because of the panoramic awareness that you are finally after all these years, finally settling into that cannot find a self and cannot find an other. It is called perception only, according to the Yogacara tradition, or the mind only. You can do this. You can actually live that way. You don't, leave, you don't need me. You don't even need the teachings. Unless you run into people who need your help, then you might need to look at what the Buddha said and say, look at it this way. Everything is dependently arisen. Nothing comes from its own uh, from its own side as a separate entity. There is no other. There is no self. There is just perception, and even that you can't cling to. Be, if you could cling to it, it'd be easier. We could just all just cling to that. And, but that's what we would. No, we don't have to suffer unnecessarily. Questions would be good if you had. So you brought up the concept of benefit of the doubt, like trust who was like giving something the benefit of the doubt. Um, and often you tell us not to trust you, but to give you the benefit of the doubt if you're functioning as our teacher. Does that look like a green with the teacher? No. You must want to know more. You know, let me get away with that. I need help here. I can't teach without you guys. Don't everybody raise their hand at once. <laughs> I'm not sure with Shoto yet. Go ahead, Shoto. How can we give you the benefit of the doubt if something is asked of us that we don't want to do, but we want to respect that? Well, we could have talk talk to me about it. Come and say, you know, I don't want, I don't really want to paint the roof. <laughs> roof doesn't need painting. And then I would say. I would like you to go up on the roof and take a closer look. <laughs> and then you might either go, ha, 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 or you might go up and look at the roof, come back down and say, I still don't think it needs painting. That would be giving me the benefit of the doubt. But not just leaving it there in the conceptual realm. You actually go and look at the roof. One more, and then we'll go to these other helpers. So in that situation where... I think the roof doesn't need painted. Is that me having some kind of idea of how you should teach me? 
A little bit, but it's not about you not having that. It's about you being aware of it. It's always about awareness. If you, if you go the other direction and thinking, I shouldn't have ideas about how I should be taught uh, from, I should cha- change, then, you know, that's, you're bound to have some kind of idea about it. It's the, it's the believing, disbelieving that is extra. Let the, I, let, let the confusion arise. Let it do whatever it wants to do. Don't accept, don't reject, don't look away. That's probably not going to come up too often, but it, it will some. I certainly didn't agree with either one of my teachers, everything they said or did. Still don't. But I also don't necessarily disagree with them and, and start to, you know, speak against what they did. I respect what they were doing because I don't know the causes and conditions that they were looking at that brought about them saying you should do uh, walking meditation uh, every 40 minutes or you should have uh, uh, noble silence or functional speech, however you want to say it. I don't do that, but that's based on how it looks here. I don't know what they were looking at. So it's not a disagreeing with that. It's just that I don't want to do that. Simple enough. And I could go into reasons why, but it's not really necessary to explain everything. More? If we have something come up, like in that dynamic, we don't want to do it, should we do it anyway? It, it, it's, it depends on the situation, on the particular chemistry that's coming up for you or for the situation. There's, there's, no, there's no standard. It says in the sutras, don't set up standards. Even though we have forms that we endeavor to observe, we have 16 precepts we endeavor to observe, but it's not about following orders. That's too much. A little bit. Observe the precepts. Observe the forms. And since you you have the teaching person who's living right here in the same place that you do, or at least is here every day, if you have some doubts about something, come and talk about it. There isn't, it's not, this is not the military. I was in the military. I know what that was like. This is not... There's nothing at all like the military. Who, who else had a question? Grady Cats. <laughs> I thought I saw two or three hands go up over here, but maybe it was. They're changing. They're changing the hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Okay. You have something, Sean? Um, you said earlier. That uh, the awareness will eventually, was the awareness will eventually come past the thinking process. Or? It's just a metaphor for talking about it. I don't. It probably doesn't do anything, but it's like the the awareness that is around what arises gets stronger. The awareness doesn't do anything. It's the the phenomena that does stuff. It comes up. It goes down. It goes back. It goes. Even the phenomena of of, of having a realization of the fundamental nature of reality. Oh my God! Everything is not separate. Think I'm awake. That won't last. But the space in which that occurs is unborn, unceasing. And don't take my word for it, uh, but believe everything I say. <laughs> Did you have more? Did you have less? I was going to ask when the awareness surpass or begins to precede the thinking process. Yes, that would be a good way of saying it. Will we know? Will we be aware of that? Will we know what's going on? Uh, you may somewhat. If it, if it comes in flashes, you'll know. 
But if it, if it just if it just becomes that, then there isn't anyone left. There's there's not enough thinking uh, that is uh, that is prioritized to support the illusion of a self. And that doesn't mean that fear won't arise. It just can't find anybody to be afraid. Fear can arise and just not, and it can look around to say, the fear is here. There must be somebody feeling this. Causes and conditions that arise are dependently arisen. Pratitya Samapada. It's not something I invented. It's been around for centuries. Dependent origination. More? Jason? When you say to give you the benefit of the doubt, it feels like there's still a little holding back. Like, I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt, but there's still something that it feels like we're holding on to. At some point, does it, do you have to give that up, or does that begin to become transparent? So that's, uh, that's stages on the path. That would be, that's awareness. That's just part of what you're seeing. That you're partway up the mountain, and you're still seeing uh, rocks and trees. So you just you're, so you don't do anything with it. Don't try to get rid of it. Don't try to get better. Don't try to get more enlightened. Is it dangerous to trust your teacher? If it's something you're trying to do, then it's probably not a good idea. You're not going to help the teacher by trusting. Like you speaking of like blind trust. There's a saying goes. Sometimes when you talk about give the teacher the benefit of the doubt, I feel that I don't. I just feel like I, I trust you at this point. I, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's devotion, maybe even. Yeah, but it's pretty much uh, choiceless. It isn't something you thought of, is it? I mean, did you spend uh, half a century examining me? Well, yeah. yeah, probably felt like that. Looking at everything I did, every move I made, everything I said, trying to find some kind of a something to distrust or someplace. Something like that. I don't know what it was like for you, but I know it took a while. Years. Along those lines, um, giving the benefit of the doubt, is is there a movement in that? I'm not sure how your question is. If you're... If I'm giving somebody the benefit of the doubt... Oh, I see. Is there a movement? Yeah. I don't know. Just a way of expressing it. I set things up a certain way with the help of the Sangha who live, live here where you're kind of changing forms every now and then something shifts or changes or we add something or modify something. But I usually don't do that without really looking, either looking at the situations through my own looking at it or with the help of people who are participating in the forms. Just like we're doing this, uh, this living council that's dealing with ethics, mainly that's coming up because that's all over the place these days, especially in Dharma centers and so on, a lot of difficulty there. So we're, but I'm staying out of that and let, and you could say letting or asking my students to work on this. Let's, let's come up with something that's workable that's not just a bunch of rules. Because uh, you notice that when there's a bunch of rules, the first thing that people do is break them. That's what they do with those things, or at least that's how it looks. So there's, as far as movement, I guess you could say there's something. It might, it might look, look different to each person. So I'm, I'm always saying, don't, don't, don't buy anything. There's nothing for sale here. Don't, don't necessarily believe anything, and also don't necessarily reject it. Do anything with it, and then you, if there's a possibility, 
that you, you can see what it is because you see that nothing lasts. The three marks of existence, impermanence, no self, and suffering. And if you look at look at your at existence, you'll see those very clearly. Junchu. You said earlier, don't trust our thought patterns and emotions. And if we're going to trust anything, we trust ourselves. How? What does it look like to trust ourselves if it's not our thoughts and emotions? So there's no way to to say, well, here's how you do it, Junchu. When the thought comes up, there's a right at the edge of it. You'll notice a little tiny hole there where that's where you can kind of trust it. And that other part of the thought is just bull. There's no way I can help you with that. But what I can do is say, look at the leading edge of any thought pattern. Get so, uh, be, become such an expert at, at seeing your own thought patterns and emotions coming and going that you can actually see the way they're shaped. If you're, if you're, Pushing them down, I don't want to think that. I shouldn't be thinking that. I shouldn't be feeling that. There I go again. And all those other things that we laminate on top of anything that is spontaneously arising. So it takes a while. Sit down, face the wall, watch what moves. Don't accept it. Don't reject it. Don't look away. And and eventually, depending on the causes and conditions that arise as your particular karma, you will begin to see more clearly what that is. And when you do that, then then it's, uh, it's not like you believe the thoughts as concrete because they're always moving, because everything is dependently arisen, and there, things are moving everywhere. So you need to kind of, uh, the, same, the metaphor that I like to use, you just need to dance with things. And then when it comes time to do this or do that, you'll, you'll just function. You'll function out of your classical term as vipassana or panoramic awareness. But you can't create panoramic panoramic awareness view. But what you can do is you can stop objecting to it and stop getting in the way of it. Self-centeredness, the hope and the fear will shut down on wisdom. Wisdom is not something you do. It's something you are. You actually realize who you are. You actually realize. You realize it. You don't need anybody to come along and say, yeah, yeah, I think you realize that. You don't need me to say that. And if it, if it actually... Uh, comes about for you, you won't need a credential. And if somebody criticizes you for anything, you'll just see the nature of their mind as they do that. Is it the, the content of the thoughts and emotions that you're telling us not to trust? <clears throat> yeah, the content. Content is really interesting because it can show up conceptually and it can show up emotionally. So if it shows up as, uh, you can, when it shows up emotionally, usually we, we, we can't hardly stand the feeling of something without knowing what it is. So the self-centered mind, instead of being uh, generous and open and receiving, it immediately comes and puts name tags or post-it notes on things. Well, this is guilt, or this is shame, or this is depression, or this is anger, this is this, is this, is this. It's not that it isn't one of those. It's just that the naming of it actually locks it in place and makes it last longer. It's called fixation. Don't, don't argue with anything. Go, go to war with nothing, especially war. In this way, uh, to, to use uh, Trungpa Rinpoche's uh, recommendation uh, in his, early in his uh, teaching uh, career, make friends with yourself. How do you do that? You, you see the way you're at war with yourself. 
that's how you have to actually go into the warfare, sit down, hold still, and watch the war without accepting, rejecting, excuse me, or shutting down. It's, it's hard to do. It's extremely hard to do. Some, for some people, it's, you could say, probably harder than others. The causes and conditions that even brought you into this place are uh, tributary streams flowing in the darkness. You cannot find first cause anywhere. There is there is no such thing. Shut up. Does making friends with ourselves look like liking ourselves? No. You don't have to like yourself. What does it mean to make friends with ourselves? Stop fighting with yourself. Stop fighting with everything. You don't have to like the next door neighbor. Stop fighting with them. It's a good question. You need to go further, though. There's one question you haven't asked, and since you haven't asked it, I can't answer it. You got it? What's a friend? It's a foe. You're not separate. Has to be realized. Separating out and finding good and bad, friend and foe, just doesn't work. Samvriti Satya, relative truth. You can't, you can't, you can't squeeze, you can't squeeze samsara and get happiness out of it. You might try, and some people are, look like they're succeeding at it. But what they're doing by squeezing and by getting wealthy or by getting beautiful or by getting everything they want, that all that is they're avoiding what? Death. The meditator doesn't, doesn't embrace death and doesn't avoid death. Doesn't do anything with it. But the, the, the person who's happy based on the eight worldly dharmas, Success made really successful. Quite often, people who are really successful are not so happy. Uh, William from uh, Houston, uh, Bakersville, California. Uh, I'll be, it'd be really cool okay. if they're from Bakersville, William California. William Muskegon and Amber and Muskegon. So, okay. Oh, it's another William. I, oh, well, I better. A better concentration. Maybe he's on the move. <laughs> yeah, that maybe. Are they in Wisconsin? <laughs> I just read the question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you think that children come into this world in a natural state of enlightenment that ends up hindered by events and people around them? No. Or are we all... Oh, it's an either-or question. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Or... Are we all already in a state of discord based on previous incarnations until we learn or achieve enlightenment? And then there's another question. Should I answer that one first? Sure. Okay. Yes and no. I have to, I have to do something with those. True or false questions, or either or questions. And then the last part of it yes. is, can a person become unenlightened? Yeah, you're doing it right now. We're all doing it right now. I'm doing it too. We're all doing it. I, I, I wouldn't be able to teach it if I didn't know what it was. Personally, if I didn't know what it was to do that, I wouldn't be able to talk about it. And I have not stopped doing it. What is unenlightenment? Ignorance. Ignoring. Ignoring the open, spacious dimension. So the, 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 the fundamental issue that, as far as enlightenment is thinking that it's something else. And there are people who actually think they're enlightened and teach out of who, what they think they are. And if they're really intelligent, they can fool you because they're, they're very convincing because they're so convinced. 
and they know better than to try to look too uh, uh, too puffed up, sort of artificially humilified. Whereas I, you, I've never been accused of humility. <laughs> <laughs> Kozan has a question for courtesy. She asks, what is doubt? So the word doubt it happens and functions in lots of different ways. And to uh, generalize about it, I would say that it's uh, believing in uh, open space as something being absent. Open space is when it's opposed to fullness, openness and fullness, we get tied up in that circularity and we tend to believe and disbelieve. So there's nothing wrong with doubt as long as you don't doubt it. You have to learn how to pronounce it correctly. It's pronounced doubt. <laughs> Isn't it? Doesn't it have a T at the end? I stand correctly. <laughs> We have time up here for the questions. Choo -choo. What is humility? I don't know. I'll also look to you. I, I don't. I think I might have read it years ago. What the definition? Of, does anybody know the definition of humility? Being not advancing one's uh, some kind of self-centeredness. And also not, not going the other way and having some kind of, as they sometimes say, false modesty or false humility, but just being, just functioning. One of the ways you'll notice that that shows up if someone praises you, whether, you know, whatever it is that you won't puff up. Someone criticizes you, you won't sink down. You'll always give them the benefit of the doubt, which doesn't mean believing them. So if someone criticizes you, you see their negativity arising in the form of a finger pointing. And they may be right or wrong. That's beside the point. It's about awareness, not about who's right and wrong. That's what causes wars. So if someone criticizes you or if someone compliments you, you even the compliment, though it may be something that is relatively true, still it's, it's about them. It's not really about you. Like you've heard me, ego does the same thing. If you if you say to somebody, you you didn't vacuum this carpeting very well, there's still some pieces of, of popcorn shells on it. That's a description. It has nothing to do with with you particularly. You could actually look at it and say, go back and get the vacuum cleaner and vacuum it. Or you could vacuum the whole thing, and somebody come in, comes in and goes, that's amazing. That's the cleanest carpeting I've ever seen. There's not a single popcorn shell on it. You are, you you need to be in charge of the vacuum cleaning all the time. <laughs> I couldn't pull it off. <laughs> but you know it, it's it's silly, but it does it does work a little bit like that. We're all doing a little better and a little worse in different ways, but any kind of commentary on it could be seen as a as a description. And not not that there wouldn't be a little bit of that being kind to someone because they've done something well. But it's not so much about what you're saying, it's the, it's the response that you're having when someone brings that kind of energy, positive, negative, or neutral, your way, to do anything with it. It's just a description. More? We see our own negativity about to point the finger out at somebody else. How do we do nothing with that? 
Well, you see, you're, you're just about to be critical of somebody. Is that what you're saying? You could wait a few minutes, see if it'll come out more as information rather than as, as thinking that as a person is a bad, evil person <laughs> should have taken the garbage out. Or should have rinsed the dishes better instead of leaving little specks of rice on them. Is that what you mean? Yes. <laughs> Something like that. That's the value of living in a community. Different kind of family. So if we have already criticized someone and we see that um, the passion comes up and we feel bad about it, um, what is the best thing to do? I think, it, I think it varies with every situation. There might be, at one point, you might do nothing at all. Just just use that as a Dharma gate when the, when the feeling, when the guilt comes up around it. Use that as a as a as, as helping is clarity about the confusion. It's not <coughs> it's clarity. The confusion would be showing up in the form of guilt. There, there is the, I'm calling it confusion because there is no one. Uh, ego is not real. So if there's if you did that and you uh, and you somehow felt like you had been too critical of someone, then if they were suffering or something, and you could go and say, you know, I, you could, uh, you could apologize, I guess, or you could say, say, say any number of things. It would depend, it would depend on the person, your relationship to the person, all the different dynamics that, that come into play. But you won't see all of those, and you won't consider all of those if you're busy trying to be right, or if you're busy trying to correct a wrong. Just a misunderstanding. It's, it's necessary, it seems, to bring as much awareness to any situation as possible. If you do that, you probably are going to do a lot less than you do now. And not only criticizing someone, but even, even going in and trying to scrub down the carpet that you've made a mess on. You follow me, or is that still further question around that? You said something about use the, the guilt that comes up, use that as a Dharma gate to see the clarity. Or to be clear about the confusion, where is the clarity in that? The, if you're feeling guilt, and, and it's you know it's shaped like a can of worms or whatever, then don't at, don't try to push it away. I shouldn't feel guilty. Don't fluff it up. Well, of course I'm going to feel guilty. Look what I just did, and don't turn away from it or distract yourself into Netflix or or anything. But just stay with, just just look at it. Just, just receive whatever energy, whatever uh, negativity is showing up that you're interpreting as guilt or shame or any of those things. And so far as you can, don't don't label it. But if you do label it, then don't label the labeling. Don't do don't add on to the negativity that's originally there. Does it make some sense to you? Further questions? How does not adding on prepare us for death or impermanence? Yeah, or what? Impermanence. I think it depends on how it shows up with each person, but not whatever occurs, don't do anything with it. Other than if it shows up, then you receive it through your sense fields, including the mind. Uh, don't don't interpret. Don't elaborate. The kind of clarity that you need around any given situation that comes up is already in the situation.
adding something onto it is, is a, an imputed self that is adding on to an imputed or believed in other. Parikalpata is the, the three natures of Paratantra, Paranishmana, Parikalpata. You've studied those. You haven't? Have you studied that? Lankavatara Sutra, Sambhina Machana Sutra? You have not been here to any of that? I'm here for that. Well, you should come more often. <laughs> so the, the imaginary, the, the dependently arisen of Paratantra is just what aris, arises based on dependent origination. It's totally impersonal. There is no person in there. It just looks like it because it's so variable. And there are uh, organisms participating in that at different levels. And then we impute or we think things about it. We add on because of our incredible gift of intelligence. Human beings add on to that. Animals do it a little bit based on their conditioning. They get fearful of things they don't know what it is. So, and then seeing through the imaginary nature, we see the dependent origination, and this is the, the fulfilled or the perfected nature, or parnishpana. So, to see dependent origination as, the, you could say, as the Buddha saw it, is liberation, because there's no longer anything to fight with or agree with. In the midst of all of the relativity, everything is, has been said in the, the classical way of saying it, uh, is that everything preaches the Dharma everywhere. Everyone is saying, not separate, not separate, not separate, not separate. Dependently risen. Everywhere you look, you see, uh, it, it doesn't look like, nothing looks like a stranger. Even a stranger doesn't look like a stranger. Is not yeah. anything looking like a stranger is that choiceless trust? There's a resonance there for that. It's not exactly the same thing. Choiceless trust is more about your path with any given situation. Especially, you, you learn that, you understand that, you develop, or whatever relative kind of word you want to use, by interacting with the teacher. The, 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 the formula for this path is the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, the Three Jewels. It seems like if you take any one of those out, it's not that there can't be some kind of understanding or some kind of depth couldn't, could happen if you're working on it, but seems to be kind of an interesting formula. There's someone who teaches, and there's what they teach, and then there's the people that are trying to understand that. Uh, Kozan has a follow-up question. Uh, her um, video stalled. And That's a question? She, well, she didn't hear the answer on the little d-doubt. And then she asked what is meant by the great doubt. Little d-doubt? Little d-doubt. <laughs> <laughs> little d-doubt. Dozy dotes. <laughs> is that one? Little Biggity doubt. Biggity doubt. She wants to know about the big doubt. The, the great doubt. The great doubt, yes. Uh, I don't teach that. I just treat, teach diddly doubt. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't teach that, do I? I don't teach that. Anybody here been taught that by me? The diddly doubt. <laughs> so the great doubt is a way of uh, at ancient times uh, I think it was uh, Soto, uh, Rinzai Zen uh, it could be Soto also but it's like uh, some of the teachings there and I don't remember the teachers it's like you need to sit as if you have this great doubt like you've swallowed a ball of iron 
and you're just going to sit and just just have this doubt so that you can it's kind of an artificial way of creating a lot of tension with the idea that you're going to have a breakthrough i'm not interested in you having a breakthrough i just teach differently they're not wrong right right wrong is beside the point it's just a uh, great doubt and uh, is it just a technique for working with the mind you could say that maybe maybe the teachers got just tired of their students not doubting anything. So they started thinking, let's make them practice great doubt. We'll teach them for being so confident. Yes. Oh, you have one? Another one from um, William and Buzz Stevens. William? Uh, is it okay to use right action as a way to reduce feelings of guilt? Uh, don't reduce feelings of guilt. Guilt arises, Dharma gate. How would you get rid of your Dharma gates? That's a rhetorical question. Don't answer. <clears throat> when, well, anything that arises, we're not. I don't teach any kind of methodology necessarily for getting rid of anything or stopping anything. I mean, there's there's some exceptions to that here and there. If it's things that are really really extreme, maybe. But whatever arises, positive, negative, or neutral. If it arises like uh, fear, insofar as you can, stay with the texture of the fear rather than the, all of the concepts around it about why it happened, who did it, who caused it, praise and blame. Shoto? You said you're not interested in us having a breakthrough. Yeah. What's the difference between a breakthrough and a realization? A breakthrough is an experience, and a realization is not an experience. I mean, it's experiential. There's going to be some kind of contrast, but it does not last. It's not something you can hang on. You can't hang on to realization. If you're hanging on to it, then it wasn't realization. It was uh, classically in the Zen tradition called Kensho, or insight into your true nature. So I'm not saying you couldn't have a flash of it, but it will close down unless you've done the work. It'll close back down again. This is why people, sometimes when they have this kind of insight, they there's some... They either have the intuition or they have a teacher or they have something helps them see that they need to go and clarify that. That you don't just cling on to that and then try to teach out of a, out of an experience. Yes? What is clarification after realization? Uh, holding still and watching it and seeing that nothing lasts. Good question. There isn't any. There isn't any separate dynamic happening. It just looks like it. It's called. It's called illusion. And if you see this, it becomes quite humorous because you realize that people are tied up in their their, their knots, their thought patterns, and their ideas, and their opinions, and everything. And you can't. You can't do it for them. All you can do is encourage them to look at their mind, to look and train themselves. Sit down, hold still, watch the way in which you are confused. And if you do that. Over and over and over again, repetition. Then eventually, there's no guarantee, but eventually, uh, if you're if you're endeavoring to see the truth, then that goes a long way. Just the intention to be clear, not give up. It's very very tempting if you do this for years and it starts to not work and it's not living up to your expectations about realization to switch teachers. Not a good idea, even if you're. 
I would say this to someone who's a student of Thich Nhat Hanh or some other teacher that I don't have uh, any connection with at all. I wouldn't try to get them away from them to come. If they were having trouble, I would say, go back to your teacher. If they even came this direction, which they wouldn't and haven't. So it's, it's, it's experiential. There's something to it, but it's not an, not an actual experience because they come and go. So the deepening part is you, you understand what just happened or what you looked at, which is experiential, and then you sit down and just continue to look at that. One last question, if you have it. If there are, if we notice that we have like different intensities of trust between different things, is that closing us off from seeing something as it is? No, the, what you're, the way in which you describe that, I would say that that's just awareness. You're just noticing that there's a difference. You're looking at the contrast. You're not necessarily buying one or selling the other that I can see by your question. I'd have to talk to you more about it, possibly. But the way you're saying it there, I'd say, no, you're just noticing there's, there's a contrast between this and that. There's this is tighter and that's looser. That's the way, it, that's how the path feels. It's like walking on a trail and noticing things, but not taking anything personally. Like just because you go down in a ravine, that's nothing personal. Just because you go up in, up in a mountain, sunlight shining on you is great. Enjoy it. But just because it's rain and thunder and lightning, we don't take it personal. It's just part of the way relative truth works. Same thing with the emotional thing. When some negative emotions come, they're just negative emotions. They don't belong to anybody. Everything is without a self, without a, a niece, blah, blah, blah. Everything is without a central dynamic that is its own self, including these things. It's, uh, if you realize this, then, there, uh, then there's, uh, there's no more hope for anything because there isn't anything else but this. So people who are, uh, are occupied with hope are looking for something else. And it's, it's not wrong. It's not like it's bad, but it's uh, circular. So if you're, if you're hopeless, you don't have hope, then you also don't have fear. Hopeless, fearless. Not that fear doesn't come, and not that hope doesn't come. You know, I hope my car starts. I'm not talking about that. I hope your car starts. When I'm at it, I hope everybody's car starts. <laughs> <laughs> May all be happy and at your ease. <laughs> but fearless, uh, I will also say, may you all be fearless. But there's, there's nothing to fear. Uh, who you actually are is completely not threatened by anything. I'm not saying you don't have nerve endings. It can be abraded, and you can be extreme... Pain of pain can happen. The pain of alternation will back off. And the pain of pain is always going to be there as long as there's a living organism. But there's no one person who is in pain, which would be extra and be added on and would be circular. So to respond a little further to that question, just continue to look at that. Just just look at the contrast. Look at the contrast. Eventually... Uh, well, you, maybe you'll tell me what happens. Eventually, the contrast uh, does something different than just look like two different things. It's called an open secret. And why is it open secret? Because it's right in front of all of us all the time. It's right here. It's, it's your Buddha nature. It's in front of you everywhere. And it's, uh, it's a secret because our 
our own confusion, our own grasping at right and wrong, up and down and back and forth, and all the relative truth blocks it out. So it's, it's a secret, but we, we keep it, or it's open, but we keep it secret because we we screen ourselves away from it because the, the imputed or believed in self-centeredness is threatened by that. Got that? So we'll stand and dedicate the merit in the back of our red chant books. I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes in the hallway. We always appreciate and need your financial support. We also take donations online via PayPal and through debit and credit cards. penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Sattas, Mahasattas, the great Prajna Arita.